0: Hello friends, it's time for the second hour of Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik, Moody Radio's Bible study across America. We're talking about your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. My name is Michael Rydelnik, I'm the academic dean at Moody Bible Institute and also professor of Jewish studies there. Uh, if If you are in Chicago, I'd love to see you around Moody sometime, check out our school Uh, It's a great place to be. I'm coming to you live from Chicago. Uh, You can also give me a call if you want a question answered about the Bible. The phone number is 877-548-3675. Always at the beginning of the hour. It's a great time to call because you can get your question in. And so call 877-548-3675 if you have a question about the Bible, God, or the spiritual life. Uh, You can also post your question if you want by going to openlineradio.org, and there's a link there that says Ask Michael a Question. Fill out the form, and uh, then your question will be added to the mailbag, and we'll try and get as many of those as we can. But before we get back to the phones, and again, 877-548-3675, great time to call. Uh, maybe Maybe you'd like to take Open Line home with you, And just get the answers to your Bible questions when you want them. And you can do that now because my book is out. It's been out for a couple of years, 50 Most Important Bible Questions. One of our listeners wrote in after he got a copy of the book and said, it's just as though I'm back at the radio kitchen table with Michael, Trisha, and Eva. I love that. Taking the most frequently asked questions and also some of the most significant, I did my best try to give easy to understand answers for everyone from the spiritual seeker to the mature jesus follower follower 50 most important bible questions is yours if you give a gift of any size to open line all you have to do is call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org and remember when you give ask for 50 most important bible questions we're going to go right back to the phones now. We're going to talk with Jeannie in Ohio, listening on WCRF. Welcome to Open Line, Jeannie. How can I help you?
1: Oh, thank you so much for taking my call. I really appreciate your program a lot. So my question is about Petra. Um, mm-hmm. I just returned with um, a group from my church from Israel and, in fact, had lunch with one a couple of, that was on your trip um oh, really? we met in a restaurant in Jerusalem it was their last day there so oh, nice. that was really interesting and yeah. um, also encountered um, charlie dyer on his, with his group in our hotel one day yeah. so um, yeah it was
2: yeah really and exciting. I,
0: I i was in israel and, and we were we saw chuck swindoll he was there okay. i saw the pre- I I saw Mark Yarbro, the president of Dallas Seminary, and chatted with him at several sites. We we had a, it was like a big reunion time in Israel. It's kind of amazing. So,
1: oh wow, uh, great. Okay. Yeah. So on on this trip, um, we actually had a visit to Petra um, oh, included in our itinerary, um, which was quite interesting. And so my question is, according to Revelation twelve verse six. Um, during the last half of the tribulation period, do you think God will supernaturally protect the believing Jews in Petra?
0: Yeah, I I do think so. Uh, I I don't think it's the believing Jews, actually. I think it's just the Jewish people at large who escaped Jerusalem. Uh, Here's why I say that. In Isaiah 34... It talks about judgment coming, and uh, the Lord's going to come, and his sword will be, will drink its fill. Uh, he's going to come down on Edom, which is in Jordan. And then he says in verse 6, that when, when he, it's like the blood's really going to be flowing because he comes to defend Israel. It says, for the Lord has a sacrifice in Bozrah, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. And Bozrah is, I believe, an ancient biblical name, for Petra, and then in Isaiah 63, it it says a similar thing that there's going to be a day of vengeance coming when God will come uh, to deliver His people. I think that's the Lord Jesus, uh, and they'll say to Him, "Why are your clothes red and your garments like one who treads a winepress? I trampled the winepress alone." No one from the nations was with me. I trampled them in my anger. I ground them underfoot in my fury. Their blood spattered on my garments. Remember, it says that it's going, the blood will rise to the horse's bridle. Uh, And it says here that this happens in Bozrah. Uh, That's where it's going to happen. In verse one, it says, who is this coming from Edom in crimson stained garments from Bozra? That's the ancient biblical name, for uh for petra and so what happens in revelation 12 in the future tribulation there's going to be terrible persecution by the antichrist when israel refuses to worship him as the messiah in the middle of the tribulation and he will break his covenant and in revelation 12 it says It talks about the woman and she's clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. That represents Israel, that woman, you know, like Joseph's dream with the uh, moon and sun and the crown of 12 stars. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where? To Bozrah, where she had a place prepared by God to be fed there for the second half of the tribulation for 1,260 days. And then it says that uh, Satan throws all that he has against the woman uh they do all he does all that he can to destroy her uh it goes on to say in revelation 12 uh that uh he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child because jesus came from the jewish people he persecutes her, and the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, so she could fly from the serpent's presence. So uh, that's not the Israeli Air Force, as some people say. It's just God brings them out of Israel, and they go to the wilderness, to be- to Bozrah or Petra, and it says that uh, the mouth of the serpent spewed water like a river flowing for- after the woman to sweep her away in a torrent. There's going to be some sort of water attack That Satan has against the people. You know, it's a slot canyon, so water can drown people really quickly. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. So uh, the water attack will fail. And the dragon was furious with the woman and left to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Who are the rest of the woman, Israel's offspring? those who keep God's commands and have the testimony about Jesus. This is talking about the rest of the Jewish people who believe. After he fails to destroy the Jewish people at large, then uh, he, he attacks those who have the testimony of Jesus, the Messianic Jews. And so that's what's going to happen. And then the end of it is that when Israel finally, at the end of the tribulation, recognizes Jesus, he will return first to Bozrah, and in Micah chapter two, verses twelve and thirteen, he will—I think it's twelve and thirteen—I got to turn to it to make sure I got the right verses. But in Micah two, it says that he will lead the people back. The breaker—he's called the Messiah—is called the breaker. Uh, he will lead the people back to Jerusalem to the rest of the Jewish people that are there in Jerusalem, uh, and they will—and there he'll protect them and deliver, he'll stand on the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives will split. But it says in uh, in Micah 2.12, I will indeed gather all of you, Jacob, I will collect the remnant of Israel, I will bring them together like sheep in a pen. That's the shape of Bozrah, like that, the field behind Petra looks just like a sheepfold. That's what Bozrah means. One who breaks open the way will advance before them, they will break out, pass through the gate and leave by it. The king will pass before them the Lord as their leader. So he's going to go and deliver the Jewish people who are safely ensconced in Petra. He's going to lead them back. There's going to be a terrible slaughter of the nations that are trying to destroy them. He will bring them back to Jerusalem. Then the Mount of Olives will split. He'll deliver the Jewish people stuck in Jerusalem. And he'll do this only when they all have believed in him when they put their trust in Jesus like Zechariah 12 10 says that they will look upon the pierced one and they will mourn in repentance for him and uh, that's when he, all Israel will be saved at the end of the uh, book of Romans Romans 11:26. 26 it, it doesn't mean all, all Jewish people for all te- all Jewish people all the time it just refers to the Jewish people who at the end of the tribulation the nation will turn mostly mostly the nation will turn in faith to Jesus. I know that's a lot of eschatology there, but uh, I I hope that helps. Uh, Yeah, it was
1: wonderful. Yeah, Yeah. it was really thrilling to see that area actually in person, you know. I wish we would have had more time to really thoroughly investigate more of the inhabited part, you know, where once was inhabited, but um, yeah. time didn 't allow, but just have did you see the sheep area and... the,
0: like the the field behind the buildings did you did you see that
1: no it no, looks like we a sheepfold.
0: it really does huh. uh, okay and then and then uh I was wondering uh uh when you were there this is a funny question were the bathrooms open when you got down into petra actual petra because <laughs> i've i 've taken groups there, and I keep telling oh, there's bathrooms there. And they're never open and boy, it makes people mad at me when I say the oh, bathrooms are, are down there. So I think it's funny. You,
1: you know what? Yeah. I, I didn't even look for it. I didn't know they existed and Ah there we I, go. I, I was busy I was busy having a camel ride at that point. Um. I see. I got it.
0: I got oh, it. great. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm so glad so, you went there. It's great fun. Uh I uh you went with your church, I'm I'm presuming? Yes. To Israel. Yes, it was yeah.
1: the chapel in Green. Um yeah. That's great. great. Well,
0: I'm so glad you got I love it when anybody goes to Israel with anyone. It's just a great opportunity to see the Bible come alive. I'm so glad you did that. Okay, well, thank you for your call, Jeannie. And we're going to take a break here. When we come back, we've got more questions all lined up. The phone number, 877-548-3675. We're talking about your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life, right here on Open Line with Michael Reddell. Don't go away. Welcome back. So glad you're joining me today as we study the Bible this Saturday morning. So glad to be with you. You know, people come up to me and they say they are regular listeners to Open Line. I actually met someone, the last caller was talking about being in Israel and running into people from our group. I ran into people who were not in our group, but they said, we're kitchen table partners, or we listen to Open Line. In fact, at one point I was in a shop just picking up a cup of coffee and uh in a bakery and a woman said turned around she said wow you sound just like Michael Elnik. and i said yeah and she looked at my name tag and she said you are Michael Elnick. it was really funny uh and she said i listen to open line every week i'm so grateful for every one of you who listens i i can't tell you uh, when I first started, I always thought Eva, my wife, would be the only person listening. And so I'm grateful when I meet people in Israel or in uh, any part of the United States or anywhere I go and I meet people who are regular listeners. I really appreciate them. Some of you even say that you're kitchen table partners, giving to Open Line every month so I can teach the Bible every week. Thanks for doing that. If you're listening and Open Line has been a help in your walk with the Lord, maybe you'd consider becoming a kitchen table partner. Or maybe you even were a kitchen table partner one time and dropped off and you want to start up again. Maybe you've given occasionally to get uh, the the occasional resource that you're interested in, but now you want to make it a regular habit on a a monthly basis. Whatever it is, I'd sure appreciate it. Regardless, I'll always, if you become a kitchen table partner, I'll send you a Bible study moment. It's an audio Bible study designed exclusively for our kitchen table partners and uh, you'll find it in your email every other week. Click on it and get to listen to it. To become a Kitchen Table partner, just call 888-644-7122 or go to org. And uh, we're going to go right back to the phones now. We're going to speak with Karen, listening on WRMB in Florida, South Florida. So glad you're listening. How can I help you today, Karen?
1: Uh Good morning. Greetings from sunny South Florida. Um, I have a quick question for you. And I wanted to know what happens when Christians pass away. Um, Paul says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. But then again, in Thessalonians, it says that the dead in Christ shall rise first when the trumpet blows. So do we go to a soul sleep when we pass away or do we go directly to heaven?
0: Well, It sounds to me when I read Scripture that we have to kind of take two things together. There's Philippians 1. Uh, Here's what it says. For me, living is Christ, dying is gain. If I live on in the flesh, this is fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I am pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ. He says, when I die, I'm going to be with the Lord Jesus which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. So he thinks of himself in terms of his material body. He stays, he's alive, he ministers to them, or he dies. His material body will go in the grave, his physical body, but his immaterial part, the spirit, who he is, will go to be with the Lord. And that's what the verse you mentioned in Second Corinthians 5 is saying, absent from the body is present with the Lord. When we die, we leave our body. We go to be with the Lord. Now, the the problem comes in, this is the second thing we have to balance it out, is I, th- I think a lot of people misunderstand what Paul is saying in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. Here's what he talks about. He talks about sleeping, falling asleep twice. He says in verse 13, concerning those who are asleep. And then it says, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep Through Jesus. Uh, And then it says, those who are alive will not have any advantage over those who have fallen asleep. And then he defines those who are asleep. He says they are the dead in Christ. What's he talking about? When he talks about people falling asleep, what he means is they die and their physical body, you know, when they right before they're buried, they look like they're asleep. It's a euphemism for death. And then their bodies get buried or sometimes other things are done to them. If you lost at sea or whatever, but they normally buried. Uh, and their spirit goes to be with the Lord. We see that in those other two passages. And it's even hinted at in this passage. Here's what I mean. Look at what 1 Thessalonians 4 says. Uh, first it says, concerning those, verse 13, who are asleep, So that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way God will bring with him, with Jesus, those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. So when the Lord Jesus returns at the rapture and calls those who are raptured to be translated to him, the first thing he does is he brings those who have fallen asleep. He brings their spirits with him. And then their bodies are resurrected and reunited with their spirits, and but it's but see they're they're not soul sleeping. He brings with them those who have fallen asleep with Jesus. If they're soul sleeping, how could he bring them with him? They descend with him from heaven, and uh, then their bodies are reunited. And those of us who are remain are caught up. We're translated, uh, in the in the uh, in this you know just boom like that. Uh, A twinkling of an eye. So that's what's happened there. I think it's, there's not soul sleep. It's uh, the return of the Lord Jesus. He brings the spirits who are with him of those who believed, and he, he then resurrects their bodies and they are reunited together. Okay?
2: Awesome. Thank yeah. you so
1: much for that clarification. You explained it beautifully. I, I completely <laughs> understand
2: now. <laughs>
0: Good, I'm so glad. I, I I was wondering what I meant, so I'm glad you thought it was clear. to me
2: now. Thank you great. so much, and I appreciate yeah. you. Be
1: blessed. Sure,
0: thanks for the call. Uh, anytime. Uh, we're going to speak with uh, Steve in Columbia Station, Ohio, listening on WCRF. Welcome to Open Line, Steve. How can I help you?
3: Hi, Dr. Mike. I got uh, this new Bible about two months ago, and it's it's called... God's Word, and it says, Today's Bible Translation, that says what it means. Uh-huh. And uh, it reads really easy, and I, re- I really enjoyed it. This my fifth time through the Bible, and um, I can't, every place I look for Christ's deity, and uh, it's all correct, I don't find anything misleading. I just wondered if you heard of this Bible, because I bought I went out and found a bunch of them. I bought 10 online and I want to give them to my kids, but I don't want to give them to them. If, if there's anything in here, that's, uh, uh-huh. you know, out of line. Okay. And it's, well, it's, by, it's published by world publishing, Grand Rapids, Michigan.
0: In well, the, and from, it published... If it's from Grand Rapids, it's gotta be good. You know, <laughs> no, uh, I would say, yeah. I mean, that's where all the great publishers are. Kriegel and, uh, Zondervan and, uh, Baker, they're all there. Uh, okay, so I'll, first of all, let me admit I've never read it, so I'm not I'm not speaking from knowledge. Second, I I just pulled up its website and I'm looking at it, and uh, they uh, they compare different translations in terms of word for word formal equivalence meaning for meaning closest natural equivalence thought for thought functional equivalence and paraphrase retelling and they put themselves right in the middle of close to meaning for meaning that's their assessment i i don't know you know where they really fit but that's where they fit themselves uh and, uh, you know, they, but the other thing I just will say, I, I think it must be okay. Uh, for example, I'm just looking at the endorsements. Billy Graham endorsed it. I don't think Billy Graham would endorse something that wasn't good. Uh, but then I also noticed, now, Billy Graham was no scholar. He was a great evangelist and a great, you know, shepherd of God's people and all that. But he was not a scholar. Uh, on the other hand, Dr. David Dockery, who whose work I have followed, uh, for the last 40 years or so. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's that's the... Uh, he's, he was the president of Trinity. He's been president of other colleges. He's a great uh, a biblical scholar. He says, God's Word is remarkably fresh, accurate, and readable translation that communicates well the original text for modern readers. So if you like it, I think it's great. Keep reading it. Give it to your kids. Okay? It
3: reads like a novel. Okay, Doc. Great. Thanks so much.
0: Okay. So glad. Okay. Uh, we're going to speak next with Marie in Pennsylvania. Uh, welcome to Open Line, Marie. How can I help you?
2: Okay. I'm wondering, what happened to the cross after Jesus was taken down? Would they have reused it? Is it over well, there when you when you travel? Do you see it? Is it preserved in any way? What happened to
0: the cross? Apparently, it's been chopped up into little splinters in their relics all over the world in churches, saying that this is a splinter from the true cross. Have you heard oh. of that? No, that's no. I'm making that... That's what people say, but no, no, I don't think that's true. Uh, people have always been looking for the true cross and trying to find relics from it, and that began in about the 4th century when people started looking for relics, and so as a as a result i don't think that they're accurate I, i'm forgive me if if you think that if someone out there listening thinks they are uh i'm sorry if i offend you by saying that but i don't mean to i just don't think they're accurate uh i don't know what became of the true cross uh i don't think god wants us to preserve relics i think he was happy that no one preserved it or saved it or anything like that uh i the reason i say that is in uh, I think it's 2 Kings, eighteen. I think yeah. Uh, one of the things that Israel did is they preserved the remember the bronze snake that Moses made that he held up so the people wouldn't die of the snake bites. Do you remember Correct.
1: that? Yeah.
0: It says in in when King Hezekiah was getting rid of idolatry in Israel. It says, he broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses made, for the Israelites burned incense to it up to that time. In other words, they had turned the bronze snake into a relic that they worshipped, and uh, that it was a real thing, but God didn't appreciate or value anything that they worshipped, even if it was real but he's the only one that should be an object of worship. He's the only one that we should, in in Israel's time in the tabernacle, burn incense to. And so that's why I think uh, wondering about, you know, obviously we can wonder what happened to the cross, but preserving relics of it and things like that, that just distracts us from the true worship of God. So that's why I don't think God values that so much. You know, we have to keep focused on the Lord and not the things that are relics, like the cross, does that help?
2: Yeah, but they wouldn't have reused it at all. They just would sort have of destroyed it.
0: I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they'd reuse it. I don't know. Uh, they they took them down off the cross. Maybe they needed, you know, more. Maybe they made friends. I don't know. I'm not an expert on Roman practice, but you know, I, I know we don't have it. That's what we know. Okay. I hope that's okay, Marie. Well. We'll take more of your questions in just a little bit. In fact, Karen's coming in with the mailbag, so stay right there. Mailbag questions coming up. This is Michael Rydelnick, and you're listening to Open Line. Don't go away, we've got a lot more still ahead. Welcome back to Open Line. I'm Michael Rydelnik, and joining me right now is Karen Hendren. She's producing Open Line today. Tricia McMillan is away, and she has the questions that Tricia put together. Uh, hey, so uh, we were talking before last hour, and you said you've thought about going to Moody, but uh, or taking a course, but you never have,
4: right? right? Right. I mean, most of the reason why has been my schedule. I, I just yeah. haven't had the, uh, the flexibility. So yeah. that sort of limited me, but uh, but know, I've thought about it a lot.
0: Well, a lot of people listen to Moody Radio and they don't even realize that we have a school, you know?
4: Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, or, you know, we have an undergraduate school, we have a seminary. And here's the thing, and I see people all the time, they write on Facebook, I wish I could take a course at Moody. Or, I wish I could go to Moody, but I can't leave. And we're, we're talking about people who are fully grown adults, mm-hmm. like like me and you. you know. Right. Uh, well, you can study at Moody now without ever coming to Chicago. Just about all our classes are taught in hybrid fashion. What that means is that there are students in the classroom and there are other students joining through the internet, through the wonder of technology. And they get to see and hear, they even get to speak, they get to be in groups. It's just amazing what you can do with the internet now. This is, a, I think, a result of the pandemic, you know, we, when we had to have students online to study. Well, mm-hmm. as a result, now we, they, we, they have a camera, they have audio, they can see what's going on in class, and we can see them. And uh, so uh, I actually had a student that just graduated this past May, almost a year ago, and she was in two courses with me, and I only met her. At graduation in person. That's the first time I ever met her in person. Wow. Was uh, and, and she's a fully grown adult, just a few years younger than me, and she took the entire degree program at Moody via the internet.
4: Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. Can... And it it's that is a great thing because yeah. it al- allows you to grow and learn mm-hmm. regardless of your circumstances.
0: Yeah, and it used to be you had to go to Moody, you had to be in the whole fully matriculated, to take a full load. Not the case anymore. You can take courses just. Uh, you know, so if you're interested in a particular course, you can uh, apply as a, a sort of a part-time student and get some coursework in that way. It's a great, great opportunity. Don't miss out. Check it out at moody.edu. I think you'll really, uh, if you're interested in learning the Bible, learning ministry skills, learning theology, uh, all those things... Just great, right there. And Jewish studies, by the way, I might add. Uh, the, we've just had our 100th anniversary. So anyway, just wanted to let people know about that. Uh, let's, let's head back to the mailbag.
4: Okay. All right. Well, first I'm going to start with a question from a caller that uh, she didn't want to go on the air, but she's from Florida, and she has some Jewish friends she's sharing the gospel with, and she was wondering if the Jewish people repaired the torn curtain in the temple after Jesus died.
0: Well, in, in Jewish literature, rabbinic literature, we're talking about the Mishnah or the Talmud, things like that. There's nothing about the torn curtain, not a thing about it. Now, what's interesting is there are other things that say th- these kind of mysterious things that happened 40 years before the destruction of the temple, which would put it right around the time of the crucifixion. Like they used to hang a red cord out of the temple and when the Yom Kippur sacrifice was accepted, the red cord would turn white, according to this tradition. And then and that was to signify, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And then 40 years before the destruction of the temple, it says it stopped turning white, and they, they didn't know why. So there were unusual things happening. I believe, since the veil of the the, the curtain was torn, the veil was torn in half, uh, that what happened was it it obviously was going to be repaired because they couldn't or another one was added to it they couldn't just very well have a torn curtain so I presume that for the next thirty seven years after the crucifixion in thirty seven in thirty three for the next thirty seven years that yes indeed they had a, a fixed or another curtain in place another veil in place that's what I, that's just conjecture on my part. But I presume it's true. Okay?
4: Okay. Sounds good. Um, All right. I've got a question here from Leslie in Michigan who listens in on the mobile app. She's got a question about uh, Matthew 18, verses like 15 through 20. She wants to know how the disciples understood what the word church meant um, before the day of Pentecost. Was there a form of the church before the day of Pentecost?
0: I don't believe... There was a form of the church uh, before Pentecost, you know, in uh, in the Book of Acts. It says when Peter's justifying that he uh, that he went ahead and baptized Cornelius without converting him to Judaism first. Remember that he has to come back and he has to defend Gentile salvation, right? Mm-hmm, right. And he says in Acts eleven fifteen. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them, just as he did on us at the beginning. Well, he's referring to Acts 2. What does he mean? The beginning of what? He's referring to the beginning of the church. So the church begins in Acts 2. Uh, So what does he do in Matthew 18? First of all, it's not the first mention of the church. Uh, in, in Matthew 16, just two chapters before, uh, when after Peter's great confession, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He said, uh, who, who do men say that I am? Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed. He says, Simon says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, now he uses a future tense, mm-hmm. I will build my church. Yeah. And so it's still there. But now th- remember that the word "ecclesia" just means an assembly or a community. And so what Jesus is saying is on this, I will build my community, my uh, assembly of people around the world who follow me. But he's already said it. So then when you come to it in Matthew 18, I'm sure he's talked about start setting up, that he's going to set up a special assembly of Jesus followers uh, that will start in the future. And then he talks about in, the, in Matthew 18 about how to resolve conflict. And what they deal with it, they have to, uh, what it says is they have to tell it to the church. Well, let's just tell it to the assembly of followers. That's all it means. And they already know that there will be an assembly of followers, and that's what he means by saying that. So it's not like they don't know that that's not going to happen. They are fully aware of it, that it will happen. There will be an assembly of Jesus' followers, and so tell it to them. So, Okay?
4: Okay. All right. I've got another one for you. Sammy in Ohio listens in on WCRF. Sammy wants to uh, has a question on uh, Ezekiel three sixteen through twenty one and Acts twenty twenty seven. Uh, question is, do I lose my soul if I don't witness?
0: Well, yeah, that's that's how people are saved, right? By grace through faith and witnessing, isn't that it? Right. Yeah, by grace through faith and any other work. No, no, of course not. Uh, Listen everyone, I just want to say stop asking if I lose my soul if I don't do this. Stop asking will I lose my soul if I do do this. This is what the Bible says. We are saved by grace through faith. If we've trusted in Jesus sincerely, we've put our trust in him. We believe in him. There's nothing we can do. It says that that we are secure in his grip. John 10 says, I talked in the beginning of the first hour of how I gripped my son's hand right, right. when when we were crossing a road. Well, we can't fathom what it means to be in the father's grip and the son's grip at the same time. There's nothing that we could do to get out of there. So everyone, you know, people ask me all the time, will I lose my salvation if I do X, if I do Y? No, we're secure in him. It's one of the greatest truths that there is in scripture. Uh, the Lord Jesus stakes in John 6 his entire uh, his entire reputation, his identity of being the Messiah, that he always does the Father's will. And then he says, and this is my Father's will, that of all that he has given me, I lose not one. So if Jesus could lose you, then he's not who he claimed to be. He doesn't do the Father's will. We're safe. Now, what he's talking about in Ezekiel 3?
4: Yeah. Ezekiel 3,
0: 16 through 21. Yeah, here's what it says. I've appointed you as a watchman over the house of Israel. Uh, and he tells them that you have to tell the person, you have to warn them. If you warn a wicked person and he does not turn away from his wickedness or his wicked way, he will die for his own iniquity, but you will have saved your life. Now, if a righteous person turns his righteousness and practices iniquity i will put a stumbling block in front of him and he will die do you know what this is talking about physical death that god was telling ezekiel you are have this calling as a prophet and if you don't fulfill this if you're not going to be my covenant enforcer if you're not going to be my spokesman then what good are you i'll just take you home that's it and so I would say that there's a caution that we should have when God calls us to a service, if we don't do, we're all called, by the way, when we don't do what he wants, we, we may be jeopardizing our physical lives because he might say, hey, time for you to come home because you're, you're not accomplishing what my purposes are for you on earth. But Uh, And, you know, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about people who are living unworthy lives, and he says, that's why some of you are ill or some of you even sleep, the euphemism for death. Mm -hmm. So in Ezekiel 3, it's talking about physical death, not spiritual death.
4: So, Mm.
0: yeah. pretty powerful, though. Yeah, it is serious. It is serious. Yeah. Uh, But again, there's nothing that we can do that will ever make Jesus love us one iota more or less. He loves us fully. He's redeemed us. We've trusted in Him. We're His children forever. That's it. So, okay. Well, we're going to take a break here. Karen, thank you so much for uh, being with us today and and putting all these questions out there. Uh, it's always fun to have you with me. And uh, I'm sure you'll be back sometime before too long. Yep. You're listening to Open Line with Michael Rydelnik and Karen Hendren. And stay with us. There's more questions coming up straight ahead right here on your station. So keep on listening. Welcome back to Open Line. would you like uh, to know a little bit more about Passover? Jewish people are celebrating Passover in just a few weeks, And it's such an interesting celebration of redemption, Uh, more than than people maybe even are aware of. uh, There's rich teaching in it related to this festival, and therefore Chosen People Ministries is offering a free booklet called Passover, A Time for Redemption. Besides explaining the significance of the exodus from Egypt this booklet will open our eyes to the way Passover foreshadows the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You know, understanding Passover will change the whole way we look at the Lord's Supper, forever. And I think it's just a terrific uh, insight to get. If you'd like a free copy of Passover, A Time for Redemption, all you have to do is go to our website. That's openlineradio.org. Scroll down near the bottom. You'll see a link that says A Free Gift, from Chosen People Ministries. When you click on that, you'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your very own free copy of Passover, A Time for Redemption. And uh, we're going to go back to the phones right now, Uh, speak with Charles in Huntley, Illinois, listening on WMBI. Welcome to Open Line, Charles. How can I help you?
2: Hi, I'm glad to be able to speak to you.
4: I Great. have a question on
2: uh Genesis uh 3:16 about um when a, since uh Eve committed to led Adam into the sin of disobedience, she's going to um suffer pain in childbirth. And uh, but she'll still want her husband. And the the moody commentary goes in completely different area. Uh, in uh, but just
0: just you know uh, you don't don't have to explain anything. Just go ahead. What's your question? Okay.
2: The question is why are the translations after the King James all go along say about the same thing as the king james does and not what the moody commentary says well
0: what what the, they all say your desire will be for your husband that's yes that's what the moody commentary says too
2: he, he, yes but but the moody commentary says the uh that she will uh Want to control her husband, and oh, I yeah. interpret that. I you, interpret you, that you see uh, it as
0: romantic desire, right? Physical desire. Yeah. Yes, I
2: didn't know well, how that, to say
0: that. That that's wrong. That's all. That's that's why it doesn't say that. Here's why. Okay. <laughs> In uh, Genesis four, the almost the exact same expression is used. This is the nearest use of those words, and it's where Cain. Uh, wants to kill his brother Abel, right? And it says in verse uh, seven, "If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must roll over, uh, rule over it. It doesn't mean romantic desire. What does it mean? Sin desires to control you, but you have to rule over sin." And then, go back to Genesis 3.16, it says uh, your desire to rule or to control will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you, he will dominate you. It's almost exactly the same expression. So from Genesis 4, what we see is that desire there doesn't refer to romantic desire, it refers to desire to control. This is part of a curse. Uh, It's not sexual desire that's part of the curse but rather the desire to control. It's the battle of the sexes. Uh, God has established male leadership in the home, uh, and what what will happen is the woman will desire to control her husband. On the other hand, the husband is supposed to be a sacrificial servant leader, and instead he will dominate, he will rule over you. It's the battle of the sexes, and that's part of the curse.
2: That certainly is a curse, too. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, I, uh, Great. I think most people uh, interpret it as a romantic thing uh, and uh, so well actually maybe maybe most
0: people do but if you check the commentaries you'll find that most of them agree with the Moody commentary okay so thank you so much for the call Charles really appreciate it uh, we're going to speak next with Scott listening online in Minnesota welcome to Open Line Scott
2: how can I help you Thank you, Michael. I got a question regarding First Corinthians three, the three thirteen to fifteen. Uh-huh. Uh, my family points to that as showing that purgatory does exist, and I don't yeah. see that happening.
0: Well, well, that's a good question because you know what it talks about there is that we're all going to stand at the bema seat, right? the The yeah. judgment seat of Christ. And if anyone builds on the foundation that we've received uh, from Jesus with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost but he will be saved yet it will be like a light, uh, like an escape through fire so when you think of purgatory the way that people think of purgatory it's not works being burned up it's the sinful parts of the person being burned up right right yeah but this is very clear that our works will be tested by fire and if we if our works which are compared to precious gems and silver or gold That won't be destroyed by fire. That persists, we receive a reward. If we've done things that are compared to wood, hay, and straw, they'll get burned up by the fire, and nothing remains. We'll suffer loss, uh, but we'll still be saved. It has nothing to do with purgatory. It has to do with the testing and judging of our works that we do for the Lord. Uh, So I agree with you. I don't think it's about purgatory, I think it's about uh, our works. Okay. Hey, thanks so much for your call. That's the program for the week. Thanks for listening, everyone, especially those of you who called or sent in questions. Thanks to our Chicago crew today. Thanks, Karen, Ryan, and Josie. Remember, keep in touch with Open Line during the week by going to openlineradio.org. Page has everything you're looking for: place to ask your questions, past programs, current resources, how to become a kitchen table partner. A Gift from Chosen People Ministries, all that. You'll find it right there at openlineradio.org. Keep reading the Bible. We'll talk about it next week. Open Line with Michael Radonik is a production of Moody Radio, the ministry of Moody Bible Institute. See you next week.